Because of Jesus Christ, that is the hope we have, that we can spend eternity with him in heaven, and we will meet on that beautiful shore over there. Probably many of us in this room today have those who have already gone ahead, who trusted in Jesus Christ and have passed from this earth. There is a hope found in Jesus Christ alone because, as John tells us, there is life in Jesus, the Son of God. It's a new life. It's a life in this life that we live here on this earth for his honor and his glory. It's a life that comes with it, a hope for eternity as well. I invite you, Dave, if you have not done so already, to turn to John chapter 8 as we continue on in our study of the book of John. We're here today at John chapter 8, verses 21 through 29. As Jesus has been present at the Feast of Tabernacles, which is uh, one of the, the two major, of the most major feasts there uh, in the nation. There's, there's, there's other feasts that are held, but these, this and, um, and the Passover are the two major of the most major events. As Jesus has been there in Jerusalem and declared last week, we saw his declaration as the light of the world and what that means. We see now his continued uh, discussions with those who are around him in verses 21 through 29 today. And we see that that trusting in Jesus is a matter of life and death. Jesus makes that very clear to those who are there today. I invite you to follow along as we read John chapter 8, verses 21 through 29. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said... Will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I say to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me. I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Lord, we ask now that you would help us to lay aside the distractions of our hearts and lives. That that as we have come out of this time of glorious worship to you, that you would carry those things over in our hearts. And may we be awed by Jesus Christ today. May we see who he is in your word. May we understand the ramifications of the truth of Jesus as the Son of God, that he is the only hope for eternity. May may Christians here today see the calling of the life of a disciple, to turn away from the things of the world and to embrace the things of Jesus Christ, to live these things out each and every day. We pray here that you would meet with us here today Your spirit would speak to us. You would have freedom to do your work in our hearts. That everything is said and done would honor you and glorify you. Your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to let you in on a little pastoral secret today. Okay? So write it down. It'll be recorded so you can go back and listen later. Sometimes 
pastors welcome new life experiences into their lives for extremely shallow reasons, like because it's great to introduce a sermon or give an illustration, okay? And that is the case this week in my life. This week, I had a new experience, and look at that. It found its way to the beginning of my sermon. This week, I went uh, up to Gladwin on Wednesday morning, and I had the opportunity to fulfill a civic duty. As I sat in a courtroom in Gladwin, I was on the right side, okay? Just so you know, I wasn't the one on trial. I sat in a courtroom in Gladwin to see if I would be selected for jury duty, okay? As you can imagine, that room was full of people who didn't want to be there, which, by the way, I wouldn't want any of them on my jury if that was the case, right? As I sat there in that courtroom that day, observing a young man who was a defendant, my heart was moved, because here was a man, because of his decisions and actions in his life, he had brought himself to this place, and now... Whatever the decision was made by 12 other people, that would have an effect on him probably for a good portion, if not the rest of his life. And I was not selected to be a part of that jury, nor do I know what the outcome of that trial was. But I do know that the 12 people who sat on that jury, it was a decision they had to make, and they they had to take it not, not very lightly at all. You know, there are a few times in our lives... When decisions we make in a moment impact us far beyond that moment of time. And the decision that we have to make about Jesus Christ is one of these decisions. What you do with Jesus not only affects your eternity, but it also affects your everyday life. And here in John chapter 8, we see Jesus' teachings on these things to a group of hard-hearted individuals who challenge him and his authority yet again, rejecting him as the Son of God. And Jesus, very clearly here today, teaches them and us that rejecting Jesus as Lord and Savior will lead you away from God and into an eternity of separation from him. This is a warning that Jesus delivers. It's a very sobering truth that Jesus gives to the religious leadership of Israel who have challenged him at every turn, who continue to challenge him here in this passage. And he says, if you do not except who I am. If you do not embrace the truth of Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity separated from God. And before we jump into this passage today, I want to clarify or perhaps re, um, help us, help us to, to understand uh, some of the things that are, that are perhaps confusing at times of these, of these passages. Um, and that is to, to understand uh, some, of, some of where things are coming from and, and what things mean here. You, you have to understand at least a little bit about the Trinity, how many of you are familiar with that word, right, the Trinity? We talk about that in our faith, that, that God is one God, yet he exists in three persons, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God, but these persons then are distinct in the things that they do. And so when Jesus talks about here in this passage and other passages about the Father, he is referring to God the Father, but he is still one with the Father as God the Son. And you say, my brain exploded when you tried to explain that. It's okay, mine did too, okay? But to to help us understand that there's some delineation here, some things here that the religious leaders, they they, they know about the Father, right? They, they, They serve God, so they think, through keeping his laws. But when Jesus talks about how he is one with the Father, they're going to struggle with that. Because in their minds, that's blasphemy. In their minds, that's, that no one can be that, 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 that he is claiming then to be God because as God the Son, he is one 
with God the Father. And so I just, I, I thought about that this week as, as I went through these things, and this morning as reflecting on these things, that, that we need to understand that the only way to have access to the Father, who is God, is through God the Son, through Jesus Christ. And of course, then as believers, God the Holy Spirit indwells the hearts of all who trust in Him. So let's look today at this passage. We'll start here in verses 21 through 24. There's just two major sections we're going to look at here today. And, and this is where Jesus warns that there is a, a coming separation between those who believe in him and those who don't. In verse 21, Jesus speaks of an impending departure that is coming in their lives in regards to him. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin." Where I go, you cannot come. So having declared himself as the light of the world and, and having exposed the Pharisees' lack of any real knowledge of God once again, remember Jesus said last week to the Pharisees as we looked there in, in, that, in those passages about how he is the light of the world, he told them, you do not know the Father. Basically he was saying, you don't know God. I mean, you, you know all these laws, you know all these things, you, you try to do all these actions, but you really don't know God. And having exposed that, Jesus now delivers a prediction with a very sobering warning to the people of Israel that his time is short. He will soon be departing. And just as his time on earth is short, so too is their opportunity to believe, to place their trust in him. See, what Jesus speaks of here when he says that I am going away, he is speaking of his approaching death resurrection and ascension back to the Father. His death and resurrection would happen about six months after this passage takes place. His earthly ministry will draw to a close in that time, and and the mission on which he has been sent will be fulfilled, that Jesus Christ had come to seek and to save the lost. And with his death on the cross, and with his resurrection from the tomb three days later, a new covenant will be established. It will not be the covenant of the law, but it will be the covenant of grace that that, that is sealed by the shedding of his blood. And to those who place their faith in Jesus... This is a great promise. But to those who reject him, this is a dire truth and and an important warning. For instead of going with Jesus to the Father when they die, those who reject Jesus, Jesus says they will die in their sin. Specifically here, Jesus is talking about the sin of rejecting him as Lord and Savior. The sin of, of not believing in him. You know, you and I, maybe we don't think of, of not believing something as a sin. We're presented with things all the time that we believe or don't believe. We say, well, I mean, it's not a sin if I don't believe that. When it comes to Jesus Christ, it is a sin to not believe in him. It is wrong to not place your faith in him. And you can still choose to do wrong, but Jesus says, if you choose to reject me, you choose to not be in eternity with me. This is a denial of entry into the Father's presence. The religious leaders had engaged, would continue to engage in endless arguments with Jesus, when instead they should have been trusting in him and following him. My friend, maybe you have heard the gospel many times, and maybe you have sought to argue the truth against the truth of the gospel. And I'm telling you right now, you can argue with the gospel all you want, but the truth is, at the end of it all, you must trust Jesus in order to enter eternity. And if you do not, the Bible is very clear. You cannot enter heaven. Instead, only the eternal darkness of hell 
awaits those who reject Jesus Christ. But it's interesting, Jesus here delivers this very sobering, very direct warning that I am going away and you cannot come with me, you will die in your sins. And we see that, that, that the religious leaders here again do not accept Jesus' words or even seem to listen to what he says. Look at their ignorant response in verse 22. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And again here, I want to point to you that, that uh, point out to you that when John uses this phrase here, the Jews, he's referring specifically to the religious leadership of Israel with whom Jesus has been talking. They hear his words of warning, and, and they don't take it as a warning. Instead, they mock what he says, and, and they don't internalize the truth of his statements. They, they wonder, where is he going to go that we can't reach him? Earlier, Jesus had made a statement similar to this, and they had assumed uh, that, that he meant he was going to, to, the, to the diaspora, where the, where the Jews were scattered amongst the Gentiles, and so therefore he would be uh, unreachable because he'd be out there and, and no self-respecting Jew would ever spend time among the Gentiles. But now they have a much more sinister mind and end, uh, a much more sinister end in mind. Do you see what they say here? They wonder if he plans to kill himself. Now, to the Jews, understand that, especially here in this time, suicide was the worst act that one could ever commit. In fact, in the minds of the Jews that were standing before Jesus that day, the one who committed such an atrocity as to take his own life was then relegated to the blackest part of hell. In fact, the first century Jewish historian Josephus maintained that there should be no public funerals held for suicide bodies. And so with that view being the norm, perhaps we can better understand what's being espoused here by, the, by these men. Because in their minds, they are, when they die, they're going to heaven, right? Because they have, have kept this re- religious, rigorous set of laws. They have, they have bent over backwards to, to stay in line with these things. They are, they are full of their self-righteous pride and have subscribed to this intricate legal, legalistic system that in their minds would gain them salvation, They believe that by doing good works, observing ceremonies, rituals, and the law, they would bring upon themselves the righteousness needed to enter God's presence. In fact, Paul's description of his nation in his time was certainly true just a few years earlier during Jesus' ministry. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, verse 3, For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Man's righteous efforts and the embracing of God's righteousness are mutually exclusive ideals. Your efforts to gain your own salvation, your efforts to be righteous in the eyes of God, or your belief in Jesus Christ are mutually exclusive. If you come to Jesus in faith, then what you're doing is you're turning away from your own efforts to try to get you into eternity. However, if you subscribe to your own efforts, if you're seeking to gain eternity through your own works or observances or thoughts or feelings, you are in fact rejecting Jesus Christ. It's one or the other. And if you reject Jesus, you must still do something with him. We see here that that those who are rejecting Jesus have have dismissed him by insinuating that he's contemplating, contemplating suicide. And so, because they, in their own minds, and their self-righteous acts and works are going to heaven, 
The only place that Jesus could go that wouldn't be accessible to them would be to go to hell. And the only way to get there, in their minds, to assure he's going to get there, is he's going to, he's going to kill himself. Now, ironically, Jesus will give his own life six months later, but not in suicide. Instead, he would give it as a ransom for the souls of mankind on the cross. He would give himself as a sacrifice. And ironically, it would be these men who even now were plotting his death who would lead the charge for his destruction. Jesus' death, though, would not be the end. It would be accompanied by his resurrection, bringing life for all who trust in him. And this faith in him, or lack thereof, makes all the difference. The faith that you have in Jesus Christ, or the faith that you reject in Jesus Christ, leads to a natural separation. And that's what Jesus talks about here in verses 23 and 24 with the coming separation. He talks here of the separation of faith. Look there in verses 23 and 24. And he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. I think it's interesting here in verse 23, Jesus does not even acknowledge what they said in verse 22. Did you notice that? Jesus doesn't correct their thinking. Jesus doesn't address their thinking. You know why? Because foolish responses to the gospel don't garner an answer. You know, so many times we have so many uh, um, uh, little crippled things that we'll throw out to try to, to oppose the gospel. We'll hear someone say, and those foolish responses to the gospel that aren't genuine questions do not deserve an answer. And, that's not, and Jesus doesn't give them one. You know, they're, they're making this blasphemous suggestion and Jesus doesn't even address it. He continues instead to give the gospel of himself because the gospel just continues to convict hearts of sin. Jesus says here that because they lack belief, because they do not trust in him, they are separated not only in their destinies but in their origins. Because Jesus' opponents are not from above as they suppose themselves to be. Because of their self-righteousness, because of their pride, because of what they did with their lives, they suppose themselves to be from God. They suppose themselves to be from the Father. They suppose themselves to be these righteous men who would, who would spend eternity with God. But instead, Jesus says they are from below, and he says specifically they are from the world. Now, the word world here that you have in your English translation is a very important New Testament term. The Greek word behind that is the word cosmos. And the word cosmos, as it's used here in the New Testament, speaks of the invisible system of spiritual evil that permeates this realm that is, and is opposed to the kingdom of God. So when you hear that word, or you see that word here, and, and, and understand what that represents behind it, it's a, it's a sinful system. It's a system opposed to God. Satan and sin have infiltrated this realm that we live in and made it hostile to God. Do you understand that the world you live in is hostile to the gospel and to God the creator? Do you understand that? Do you understand that mankind in his basis form is not neutral or good? He is evil and sinful. My friend, if you don't believe me, you have not watched the news at all in the last 2,000 years, Okay? Because we live in a sinful world. We live in a world that is opposed to God. 
And all mankind is born into this system of sin. And all mankind is born without faith in God. And all mankind continues to live in and as a part of this system of sin. And we must understand that there is nothing good in mankind because of our sin. The world we live in, made up of humans, then, is naturally opposed to God. And indeed, the ideals of this world exalt themselves against God. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, or sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. At its core, the world is under the controlling influence of Satan. We read in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Now, This doesn't mean that God isn't sovereign. It doesn't mean that God isn't in control, but it does mean that this world, which was once perfect as created, we read about in Genesis, has been corrupted because of the fall of man, because of the introduction of sin into our world. So therefore, God and those who belong to him are not recognized in a world of sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, because of his love, because he has called us his children, the world does not know us. Why? Because it did not know him. John wrote in his gospel in chapter 1, He came into his own, and his own received him not. Sin blinds mankind to the truth, and the truth is this. There is a God. He created me, and I am accountable to him. But that truth is what we are blinded to in our sin. We don't like that idea that I'm accountable to God. We don't like that idea that God created me and I have to answer to him, but it's the truth. And instead of pursuing God... What does mankind pursue in his natural state? He pursues sin, self-gratification, materialism, and humanism. And so the light of the gospel must break through the darkness of our sinful hearts. And this is why, by the way, Christians should be so careful of what they take into their lives from the world we live in. If the world is so adamantly opposed to God, Christians, we cannot just take everything that the world offers us and say, well, God made it, it must be good. Because my friend, you live in a world that's corrupted by sin. We must take into our lives as Christians only those things that please the Lord and that which does not hinder us from serving him. And so that means that Christians should also separate themselves from that which does not please God. You realize that if you claim to be a disciple, if you claim to be a child of God, there are things in your life that you will then need to separate yourself from as a child of God because you live in a world of sin. And this includes, but is not limited to, things like entertainment choices, substances, close friendships, who we take advice from, our patterns of living, and our goals of life. That is the call of a disciple. That we separate ourselves from the things that are sinful and separate ourselves into th- into the th- towards the things that please God. 
When God said to his people, it was repeated, it was, it was put in Leviticus, but it's repeated by Peter in his letter to come out from among them and be separate. We are to be holy. As he said, be holy as I am holy. The religious leaders of Israel thought very highly of themselves. They believed that they were of God and thus they would enter heaven. And Jesus says that because they do not believe in him, they are of this world. They are part of the worldly system of sin and thus through rejection, Jesus again warns them they will die in their sins. Now Jesus was in the world. Right? He, he came in, in human form as, as 100% God and 100% man. But though he was in the world, he did not belong to the world. He was not of the world. And so also those who believe in him. That if you have placed faith in Jesus Christ, you are in the world, but you are not of it. You do not belong to that system of sin anymore. You belong to Jesus Christ. And in verse 24, Jesus makes it very clear there is only one way to avoid eternal separation from God. This statement that you have in front of you in verse 24 says, for if you do not believe. You could translate that, perhaps it's it's better translated for our day and age as unless you believe. And that's a wonderful word then, unless. Because it shows us here there is hope for salvation. There is hope to be delivered from this world and from hell. It is through believing that Jesus is everything he claimed to be. And in fact, What Jesus says here is a direct reference to his his deity. He says here, I say to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. What Jesus says here is unless you believe that I am, that he, maybe you have it there in your Bible in italics, Please understand that if you have a Bible there and italicize that word, that doesn't italicize it because it's, it's extra important, okay? Like, oh, we should study the word he because understand that that's a word that's been supplied by the translators to help bring that over into English to help us understand. But, I, but what you have here then is you have a word that really obscures the original meaning of the text because what Jesus is doing here is using the same title of himself that God used with Moses in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, when Moses asked God, who shall I say sent me to your people, God called himself, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. And what God was doing was was giving to his people his his special name for himself that would become known as the name Yahweh, or you'll see it in in your Bibles as Lord in all capital letters, that, that highlights and illustrates and emphasizes God's self-existent nature, I am. And what Jesus says here, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. See, Jesus here claims this title for himself, that he is the self-existent God, and as such, he is everything he has claimed to be all along. And so therefore, the only way to avoid dying in sin is to believe in Jesus. Salvation comes through faith in Jesus alone. And you must accept the full revelation of Jesus in order to escape eternal damnation. See, that's, that's the thing here. When Jesus says, unless you believe I am, you must then accept the entire truth of who he is. 
Jesus is not another part of our ecumenical faith that we tack on to our pantheon of gods. He is not something that we add on to our lives where we say, well, I'm going to do some good works, but I'm also going to believe in Jesus. What you must believe about Jesus is that he is the eternal second member of the Trinity as God the Son, that he came to earth as God incarnate, born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect, sinless life. He laid down his life on that cross for you as the perfect, substitutionary, and sufficient sacrifice, and that he rose again the third day and is now ascended to the Father interceding for his own and will one day return in glory and that he is the only way to eternity. That is what we have to affirm. And you have to believe that he is the Lord and Savior of all who confess this belief in him. But those who are questioning Jesus that day do not believe. And we see their continued willful ignorance on display again in the rest of this passage. We see not only the coming separation Jesus warns about, but the continued ignorance of those who are around him. Look at rejection's response in verses 25 through 27. Then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just as I have been saying from you, to you from the beginning, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. If you have been here for some or all of our study of the book of John and have seen everything that Jesus has said and and observed and everything that Jesus has done to confirm that he is, in fact, the Son of God, perhaps the the question in verse 25 then takes you aback. I mean, is it really possible that these guys are still asking this question, who are you, right? Do they sincerely question the identity of Jesus? Now, it may be that they very well do. It may be that they do question who Jesus is and that their willful ignorance is continuing to blind their hardened hearts. But it may also be that this is a question of one of scorn and ridicule, of going on the offensive. In in such a case, that question would instead take the tone of, of who are you to tell us that we're going to die in our sins? Who are you to say that about us? Either way, The message is is quite clear again. They are rejecting Jesus. And it evidences itself in this very response. And yet again, unreasonable, ignorant questions meet with no new information. You notice here, when Jesus responds to them, he, he doesn't give them any new revelation. He doesn't give them any new sign. Because what Jesus has said from the beginning and what Jesus has testified of himself is exactly what they needed to embrace and accept. I think sometimes we continue to question the gospel. We continue to poke and to prod at it, hoping that the parameters are going to change. But Jesus is very clear, the parameters don't change. I am who I said I am from the beginning. You need to trust in me. Jesus never changed his claims, nor did he need to. He always spoke absolute truth. However, now the things that he had revealed about himself would begin to reveal them. My friend, that is the great truth about the gospel. Not only does it reveal who Jesus is, but it also reveals who we are. And your response to the gospel reveals a lot about your own heart. Your response to the things of God reveals a lot about where you are spiritually. It reveals your thoughts, your desires, and your beliefs. And Jesus spoke the truth about himself and his mission. He spoke it in perfect harmony, though, with God the
the Father. Jesus never strayed from God's perfect, the God the Father's perfect plan for him, and in so doing, judgment would one day be rendered. Jesus says there, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak the word, I speak to the world these things which I heard from him. Indeed, these hard-hearted individuals would one day meet eternal judgment. And now, even now, they're getting a taste of their ultimate judgment because Jesus is exposing them for who they are. And here, their lack of knowledge of the Father is revealed once again. Jesus makes here a direct reference to God the Father in these verses, yet those listening to him, do you notice what happened in verse 27? They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. They don't understand, again, to whom he is referring. They were so willing in their unbelief. They were so set in the rejection of Jesus Christ that they were so darkened in their hearts that they could not even comprehend even the simple truth from Jesus. And just as his words would reveal to them, would reveal them and one day would prove to be their judgment, the events of Jesus' own life, would also reveal the truth of his calling and mission. We see lastly today in this continued ignorance, the revelation of all things that would take place. Look at verses 28 and 29. Then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I am doing, that I do nothing of myself, but as my father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. Jesus reveals here that one day, everything that these men have discredited, missed, and attempted to suppress would be proven to be true. And it was coming sooner than they expected. And that's the truth of the gospel. You can discredit it. If you, can, you can try to discredit it. You can try to disprove it. You can try to suppress it. But one day the truth wins out. Jesus will talk about that further on in the next passage. We'll see next time we look at this book. But it would be on this day that they would lift up the Son of Man. Now, when Jesus talks about here, about lifting up the Son of Man, understand that that picture has, has a dual meaning. First, lifting up the Son of Man refers to Jesus' death. Jesus used that picture in John chapter 3, verse 14, when he spoke to Nicodemus and he said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus, the sacrifice for man's sin, was to be lifted up on the cross. This was the plan of God all along. That he would be suspended between heaven and earth, paying the price for man's sin. And these people who were here, rejecting him this day, they would be the ones who would be the catalyst to lift up Jesus on that cross. And those who stood before him, who would be so instrumental in it, they would see that everything that Jesus said would come true. Because not only does this phrase talk about his crucifixion, there's a secondary meaning here. Because the lifting up of Jesus includes not only his crucifixion, but everything that happens after that, his resurrection and his glorification. 
Jesus' death and resurrection vindicate his entire life and ministry. At the resurrection, Jesus was glorified. And at the resurrection, there was no denying that what he said and what he did was true. And it was of God the Father. There's no denying it. Therefore, as he says here, he always pleased the Father in everything he did. But for those who reject him, they realize those things too late. The soul who rejects Jesus as Lord and Savior enters eternity only to realize a horrible truth. Jesus was right. He really is who he says he is. He really is from the Father. He really is to be trusted with eternity and and serve with my life here on earth. But my friend, at that moment, it's too late. As one pastor so aptly said, as a tree falls, so it lies. No change is possible once the portals of death are crossed. You have the option in this life through the grace of, Jesus, uh, through the grace of God to accept or reject the truth of Jesus Christ. You have the opportunity. You have, you have the work of God in your life showing you the truth of the gospel. My friend, just because you don't believe it, you don't like it, or you don't accept it, doesn't make it false. And we generally understand that for a lot of things in life. Perhaps less and less in our culture that continues to wage war against truth, right? But there are so many things that we we look at and we say, well, that's true. And I, I don't have to like it, but it's true. But it seems that when it comes to the things of eternity, when it comes to spiritual matters, we say, well, I don't like that. It's not true. I don't, it doesn't matter if you don't like it. Truth is always truth. And what Jesus said to those people, these men, they, they railed against him. But he continued to speak the truth of himself. And I implore you that if you have not done so, you need to entrust your soul to the ever-living one whose wounds for you He gave himself for you. And he calls you to himself. He calls you to trace your faith and trust in him and him alone. He calls you to leave behind your own ambitions to get to eternity. He calls you to leave behind your own efforts. He calls you to leave behind the good feelings and things that you think and instead embrace him for who he is as the only way to eternity. And today, there are those in this room who, who have done that. Who have placed your faith and trust in him. Who, who say, yeah, I, I, I trust Jesus Christ. And to you, listen to what Jesus says. He calls you to live your life for the kingdom. To turn away from the darkness of this world's sinful system that appeals so easily to your flesh. But understand that the matter of Jesus is a matter of life and death. It is a message that all give a response to in their lives. And we understand that rejecting Jesus as Lord and Savior will lead you away from God and into an eternity of separation from Him. Trusting Jesus, as we said, is a matter of life or death. If you trust Him, you, upon your death, will enter eternal life with Him. But if you do not, 
you will enter a terrible eternity of punishment separated from God forever. In your natural state, you will, as Jesus warned these people here today, die in your sin. But you don't have to. Jesus is the Son of God. He came to give you life. He came to give you hope. He came to call you to himself, and he calls to you today, offering you the security of life and the strength to live for him. So very simply, will you trust him with your life today? I don't know what you've heard about Jesus Christ. I don't know what you've heard about the gospel. I don't know what God may even do in your heart as you continue to to hear these week after week. But I do know this, that it is not uncommon for someone to hear the gospel in their life over and over and over again and not accept it. My friend, today is the day to accept what Jesus says. I also know that it is not uncommon for you to hear the gospel and to make some profession of faith to get someone off of your back and you've lived this fake profession your entire life but you have come face to face with who Jesus face to face with who Jesus is. Let me tell you it's not worth trying to save face. You need Jesus. You need him today. And I encourage you to follow him. And Christian, I don't know where you're at in life today. I don't know what you're struggling with. But I do know this, the calling on your life is clear, to live in the light of the gospel. And that dark world that you have been saved from should have no power over you. Sadly, so many Christians who have been called to the light try to live their lives in the dark. And they claim, well, I can hold on to this, or I can hold on to that, or I like this sin, or that sin, or this really isn't as bad as you say it is. But if you are dead to sin, why do you want to live in it? Live in the light of the gospel and find victory over these things. Find joy in serving Jesus. Find power over sin and live out your calling in the gospel. Do not try to hang on for dear life to that which is part of the old life of sin. Because if Jesus has given you life, it's a better life indeed. Father, thank you for your word. And it's power to change our lives. Thank you for the truth of the gospel that is so clearly presented in the life of Jesus that we have read about here today. Thank you for the hope that we enjoy in Jesus. Thank you for the power that we have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray today that you would work in our hearts in a mighty way that you would have the freedom to do what needs to be done today. That you would move and call and you would be glorified today. Lord, I pray that you would hammer away at the heart of one who is here today who is still wrestling with the gospel, who is still wrestling with the truth of God's word, who is still wrestling with some profession they've made. And Lord, show them the only way to eternity is to acknowledge your holiness, your justice, your love, your grace. They need you. Lord, for Christians here today,
pray that you would do your work in our hearts. That we may be more like Jesus Christ.